So, um, if you haven't met me yet, my name is Jay Mitchell. I've been out for a couple weeks, and maybe you thought Walt Tanner and one of the other guys were uh, the pastor here, but no, um, I am still here. I was looking for another church. I went and tried out a couple, but they didn't want me, so it seems that um, they've all voted me down, so I'm, I'm stuck with you guys, so I appreciate you guys. I'm just teasing. If, <laughs> I'm just joking. It's actually been uh, really kind of fun. We've been in this series, if this is your first time, this series called Unified, and uh, me and uh, three other pastors have been switching around speaking at each other's church. Uh, the churches are Capstone Church, which you heard last week. His uh, pastor's name is Walt Tanner. And then the week before that was Encounter Church, and his name is Jonathan Day. You got to hear. I spoke at those two churches the last two weeks. and It was a lot of fun being at, at different churches. And uh, I, I tell you what, it actually made me miss you guys a whole lot. Uh, they have some great churches, but it made me miss you a lot. You guys are way better than all those people. Um, it doesn't. <laughs> thank you. It doesn't say much for being unified, though, does it? it didn't, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but uh, the reason why we, us, the three, all four of us met together um, about, gosh, it was probably four months ago, and said, hey, what can we do together as a church to do something uniquely different? That we would begin to just show not... Uh, show our church themselves that we we value working together that being unified together as as churches is so important and so we began just praying for for this opportunity and um, I want you to know that this is uh, it's actually not going to stop with just um, sharing some sermons that's not where it's going to stop at all we're going to use this as an opportunity to launch um, some some greater things that we're going to be able to do together as a church because, honestly, we can do more together than we can separate. And so I don't know if you've ever felt this way, uh, if you've been around church for a while, or maybe you're new to church, and you've just always thought it was weird that sometimes like there would be like one denomination church here on the corner, maybe another denomination right across the street, and it's like they would never talk to each other. And uh, and Sundays were like the most awkward time in the world because you would have to pass those people and and it's like don't talk to those people and we don't talk. I mean that's and if you've ever looked at that and thought, man, this doesn't seem right. Um, the reason why you felt that way is because it's not right, okay? Because it's absolutely wrong, and the Bible is very clear that that's uh, not what Jesus intended at all uh, for us to do and for us to be like. So we've been in this series unified. Next week, you actually get to hear from a dear friend of mine. His name is John David Mangrum. He's been uh, launching a church in downtown Greenville. They meet at Spill the Beans. What a terrible place to meet at downtown. Jeez. Coffee and ice cream every Sunday morning. I probably shouldn't tell you guys that because you all go there next Sunday. Um, but uh, but he's an incredible guy. He's going to be here uh, next Sunday speaking here. And I'll actually, I'll be up there speaking it's just going to be hard to be up there. Um, but uh, the, one of the things that we began to pray is we wanted to answer Jesus's prayer. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus prayed for you. We actually did a sermon series on the book of John, and we went over this passage. But I want to read you this passage in John 17. The whole chapter is a prayer that Jesus has for um, his disciples and then for his church, the church that, that's us, the, the people that would come to follow Jesus um, because of the disciples and the work that he did. And here's what he prays. And Jesus is praying to God and he says, uh, says to God, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. That sounds like a rhyme. Um, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them 
even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for us and he prayed not that we would be divided by denominations, not that Christians would be divided um, by what they, you know, these stances that they hold. I'm this kind of Christian. I'm this kind of Christian that we would battle each other. But he said, Jesus prayed that, that we would be unified, that we would come to complete unity, that we would work together, that we would be a team. And why? Why? Why would Jesus pray such a prayer? Maybe you've heard this before, but a house divided will what? Will fall. A house divided will fall. Uh, the great enemy strategies is always, or even war strategies is always divide and conquer. I mean, if you can divide your enemy, you can conquer them. If you can get them to fight among themselves, then you've already won before you've crossed into battle. Uh, if they're not working together as, as a team and as a unit, then, then you win. If you've ever done team sports, you know that if everybody's not working together uh, and doing, putting forth their best effort, then it's going to be really difficult to, to win anything. And so Jesus prays this prayer for us to be unified. And the other pastors have, have we all have like a different message that we've been sharing. Last week, you heard about his uh, Walt's passion for the city and how we need to be unified as a, as Christians and as a church uh, to make our city a better place to share Jesus in a way that that makes um, our city better. And I want to focus on something that I'm very passionate about, and you've heard me talk a lot about, but that is the issue of marriage and family. Because I believe this is where the greatest attack is. Not only is it just uh, they're an attack on Christians being divided, but I believe the greatest attack is on the family and on the home. Um, when there is not unity in the home, uh, then then it is pretty difficult to get the church um, to work together as a team. And Satan is our enemy, is going hard and fast after our um, our marriages and our homes. Uh, even right now, there's legislation um, trying to be passed and there's uh, something going into the Supreme Court. I just read it in Fox News this week. And because of recent stuff that our even our own president and vice president have said, it is an attack on the biblical definition of what marriage is and should be. And I believe it is nothing more than an attack from the enemy, Satan himself, to confuse, to distort and to undermine the God-ordained and God-designed purpose and meaning of one man and one woman in marriage. And uh, as a church and as believers, it's something that we should be passionate about because when marriage and the family are gone, then uh, everything else follows. You can just watch in our history, even as a country, when the, as the family unit um, is destroyed, so is, the, so is the nation, so is the country. The family unit is the, is the starting point for unity. And so today we're going to talk about unity in the home, unity in the family. Now, when my wife and I first got married, um, it was it was a struggle. I got to tell you, we we never really dated in the same. We never really dated period. We just kind of were friends. And then when we started to to kind of say, hey, this is more than just friendship. I went away to seminary and she stayed in, in Florida. And so we were separated by about um, a, a thou, over a thousand miles. And um, we dated mostly long distance. And so here are these two very independent people. And 
when we got married, it was all of a sudden two people who never even really lived in the same town together. We just put us together in the same house, and now we're sharing a bed and, and a kitchen and all those things. It was, it was kind of a wild ride the first year, and uh, it was all her fault. I was fine, but it was, it was all her fault. Um, but, you know, it was, it was, there was a lot of tension because, you know, I'm, I was a very independent person. I still am a very independent uh, person and my my wife she's not quite as independent as I am but uh, I I believe that she's a little hard headed just like me I, I would say that <laughs> she might not be but I'll say that um, but she she and I we just weren't always on the same page when we first got married there was a lot of differences that we had I remember one of the very things that was very funny we um, just moved into a new apartment as, as uh, a newly married couple and my wife asked me to to mop the floor. Hey, I can mop the floor. This is not a big deal. So I mopped the floor the way I mopped the floor as an independent single young man. Okay, and here's how I did it as an independent single young man living in an apartment with like five guys. Here's what I did. I went over to the toilet. I took some cleaner and some soap and I squirted it in the toilet like that. I took my mop in the toilet and I began to mop. I just began running from the bathroom that was in the living room and I would run. I would try to keep it from dripping water everywhere and I would run into the kitchen and I would mop for a little bit and then I would go back to the toilet and I would and I run back to the kitchen and keep mopping. And my wife comes comes downstairs in our little uh, little apartment and she she sees me running from the bathroom with the wet mop into the kitchen and she's like what are you doing? I said, I'm mopping the floor like you told me to. And she's like, that's not how you mop the floor. And then she looks in the bathroom. She goes, Jay, no, no, do not tell me you are mopping my kitchen floor with toilet water. You know, I'm like, but sweetheart, listen, it gets the toilet clean and the kitchen clean at the same time. Like what, what better would way to do it? And so she, um, she quickly changed my behavior and made me use a bucket. I don't really understand men out there. You can understand. Isn't that better? Man, you clean both of the, you guys understand, right? Um, but uh, we weren't always on the same page. Uh, but in marriage, the the important part of being on the same page together is so critical, so important. In fact, it is the very first thing that God says should be unified. It is all the way in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 24. God had spoke. Uh, he had created Adam and Eve. And then he said this. He said, let the two and the two shall become one. The two shall become one flesh. And that the idea of oneness between man and a woman is, is much more than uh, maybe the, the physical term would imply. Um, but it is, it is a, a oneness of, of spirit, of mind, of heart. All of a sudden, two people now, um, now exist as, as a unit, as, as one person. And that's why we share last names. That's why we share a house and a bed and all those things. Um, because now God has called us to, to be unified, to be one. And there's, there's no better scripture than I think Ephesians 5 that speaks to unity in the home and unity in the family. And it, it, it is based off this very first passage in the Bible. And he's going to quote it at the end of this passage. Um, but I want you just to read together Ephesians 5 verse, verses 21 through uh, 31. If you have a Bible, you can jump in and follow me there because this is an important passage for you to kind of highlight and underline and go back to and read a lot because it will it will encourage you every time you read it Um, otherwise this scripture is going to be up there you can follow along with me verse 21 says this submit to one another out of reverence for christ 
Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and care for their body, or but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Verse 31, he quotes Genesis chapter 2. He says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The scripture gives us this unique picture of a relationship between a man and woman in the home uh, in marriage. And I want to go kind of show you a few things uh, about what the scripture says about what's so important in this. And and the first thing I want to show you is um, what's it kind of implies this idea of something that is going to kill a unity. And I want to give you a couple unity killers. The first one I want to uh, share with you is this, and that's called dominance. See, the scripture says, verse 21, that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But oftentimes, um, I've heard it preached, they start from number 22, which says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Maybe you've heard it preached that way. Um, if you're a guy here and, and you've heard some passages before, you might have heard that before. Women, you might have heard this used in a in a bad connotation like women just are supposed to submit and the bible says women are of less value than men or something like that maybe you've heard that before in your in your life or in your in your church experience and that is not true the very first verse says submit to one another and verse 22 says is talking to 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 wives specifically but it first says submit to each other so it implies this mutual submission and oftentimes what can happen in a relationship is that one one spouse will be more dominant than the other. And dominance is a, is a huge unity killer. And for many of you, you may have experienced um, a, a father or a mother who was more dominant in, in the family. And you may know very well um, personally how it has caused division. It has caused bitterness. It has caused anger. Uh, it has caused resentment. Um, to build up within that relationship and cause two people who are supposed to be one but to become very two different people. And maybe they've been divorced. Maybe they're separated. Uh, and, and that happens. Maybe you yourself have been in a relationship where that's been the case. And, and you yourself are, are, have been separated uh, because of that. It is a unity killer for one person to be more dominant than the other. And when I say dominant, what I mean is, is that person has an over... Uh, proportion, a, a disproportionate amount of control over um, decisions about sex, money, kids, family, parents, house, bills, you know, finances, all those things. When one person has kind of all the weight of control mostly on them, then what happens is, is that becomes an unbalanced, uh, unhealthy, dominant relationship. Because anytime one person is more dominant, that means the other person is being dominated. And that is never a healthy relationship. Um, I remember 
um, being in a, in a home where uh, that was true for me. I had a, uh, lived in a home where I had one parent that was much more dominant than the other. And it wasn't modeled as, as something that was very encouraged. I, I, maybe I, I just grew up kind of old school in the South. But it was, you know, mama's got to have the food on the kitchen when I come home and when I say so kind of a thing. And, and in the early days, I can uh, say that was true of my father. And, and I've even talked to him about this. Um, he's come a long way. He's not like that anymore. But in his younger years and when I was a young child, he was like that. He would say things like, you know, I, I demand my food to be on the table when I get home kind of a thing. And it was kind of old South tradition for him. But, um, but he's come a long way. And now mom, my mom's got him working in the kitchen now. So, so she's finally got him whipped after about 40 years. But, um, uh, but, but it was, a it was an unhealthy relationship and I saw the pain and the struggle that became because of it. Um, the best way to keep this from happening is that first the couples would be submitted to Christ first, because if you're not submitted to Christ and you're not going to submit to each other. The second thing, which kind of goes along with this, is something called passivity. And oftentimes men can struggle with this one, uh, women, women as well. And passivity is where one person in the marriage is just chosen to not hold their, their weight, to kind of just coast through. Um, to kind of not carry their their weight in the family, so to say. And what happens when someone is passive is it quickly turns to bitterness and anger because one person in the relationship is having to carry more of the weight, the responsibility, the the workload of the family. And and when you are a person who's carrying all the weight and workload and responsibility of the family, you look to the other person and, and you you harbor resentment. And you go, that person doesn't do anything. That person doesn't take care of this or even take care of that or doesn't help me with this. And I'm kind of having to carry the heavy weight of everything. And it causes disunity, causes distrust, and it causes separation. It doesn't cause unity, but it hurts the marriage. So how can you be unified at home? I want to just give you uh, just a few short things, four ways that you can kind of begin to work on unity. Um, I I believe kind of overarching, there's this idea that is this, and that's the idea that when, when you're married, you used to talk about my, you used to say, this is my, this is mine, uh, I, and when you get married, you can no longer use that word in the same way. Um, because now everything becomes ours. The two shall become one. It is now one unit. Now you do share a bank account and you share a house. Uh, now you do share a bed. I, I don't share closets with my wife because I don't wear her clothes. Um, but I kind of draw the line on some things sharing. But, but sh- we have to begin to this idea that now we have to share things. And you know, we like to say, tell people to share, but we don't like to share ourselves. Kids share that toy, but give me my remote. You know, you've, maybe you've done that as a parent. It happens. Um, we talk a lot about sharing in weddings, um, but when you take two independent people who have their own stuff and you kind of cram it all in one house, you begin to get battles and it gets ter- ter- people can get territorial and things. I remember this is kind of a, a funny story. Uh, when, when my wife and I first got married, um, it was our first Christmas meal together with big family. We're sitting at a big table, got all the families together. And my wife spent a lot of time cooking Christmas dinner and stuff. And um, so we all sit down at the table. And I grew up in a home with, uh, it was three boys. And we fought for food in my home. Like we ate, we ate dinner like this, you know, turned over our food with like knives ready and forks ready. And it was like when it was time to go, 
when we said the prayer, it was like, man, we just shoveled food and you, it was a fight to eat. You know, my wife grew up Italian, very, very different. Those weird people, they just like eat off each other's plates. Like, what are they doing? Like you, if you're Italian, I'm sorry, you're weird. Like, and she, her family like just cook big bowls of stuff and they just sit it out. That's a lot of times you don't even get plates. They just walk around and pick off each other's plates. That's just crazy. Like OSHA would not like that. Okay. They would come in and shut you down. But they, um, so my wife, it, she's, she, here she is Christmas dinner. We get everything. We pray and it's all beautiful in China. And the first, she's got a plate full of food. The first thing she does is I, her hand reaches over to my plate and out of just the corner of my eye, I see this hand coming over. I went, I slapped her hand away. And it was just instinctive, and I'm not proud of it. And everybody kind of around the table was like, what just happened? <laughs> and I was like, oh, we don't do that here. <laughs> I'm used to that. You know, we usually stab people when they reach across our plate. <laughs> this is different in this kind of family. And, uh, but she reached my foot. No, I do not share. Jay does not share food. And, uh, but they, they do there. But it's, it's funny because now I've just given up. I just wait till she eats all my food. And then I just take her plate and eat her. So has given up. Um, so it's just those Italians. But anyway, so we need to, we need to share. The first thing that we need to share as, as, a, uh, as a couple is this. We need to share decisions. Um, this is a very, very critical issue that, again, can, can lead to um, just bitterness and resentment. And a couple needs to begin to, to share decisions. And as it talks about in, in Ephesians, is this idea of, of oneness and mutual submission. This idea of mutual submission means that we don't make decisions on our own anymore. You see, when you begin to make decisions on your own, you get in trouble. Maybe you've gotten in a fight after shopping day. That's when many couples sometimes would get in fights. Someone has gone shopping, they come home, and one of them goes, You bought what? You did what? (laughs) It's like, but baby, this golf with this golf club, I can drive a yard farther, maybe two, you know? And, um, and then what was what, um, my wife said early in our, in our marriage, she doesn't do this anymore, but she, I remember her coming home one time and she said, but baby, look at all the money I saved you. I got so many good sales, you know, and maybe, maybe you've heard that one. Um, but when we begin to make our own decisions and finances on our own, or we begin to make our own decisions when it comes to children on our own, um, those kind of things can, can cause major issues and, and problems. So what we want to work on is to have an, a, a family unit where we begin to share in our decision-making. So in kind of early in marriage, I used to think that um, my wife was crazy because usually some of the ideas I had, she would disagree with. And then after, you know, doing some of those ideas, I found out she wasn't crazy. She was right. And so I should have listened to my father-in-law who said, um, Jay, most important words you'll ever hear is yes. You know, you ever say is yes, dear. And so I, I should have learned that early on. But um, but now finally, my wife, and I have really gotten to the place where um, when we make decisions, we we make them together. And if I begin to make them on our own, then then what happens is is usually regretful things or we just don't make decisions as well apart from each other. God designed us to be better together. He designed us to do things. Um, we designed us very differently. Women think very differently than men. Men think very differently than women. And when we come together, we can begin to make decisions together. It's always going to uh, benefit us together. And so um, I remember a salesman came to my house one day, and he was asking my wife, I wasn't there, if 
if she would sign up for like pest control or something. And she's like, you know, I just really don't want to do that. And he's like, well, I see some spider webs out here on your door. You know, they're creeping in. And my wife's like, spiders, uh, you know, and he's trying to sell her on this pest control. She says, you know, I really need to talk to my husband first. He goes, you need to do what? You need to talk to your husband. You mean you got to you got to go to him for every decision you make? You know, what my wife did. She went, she closed the door. She's awesome. Cash went in for my wife. But he was like, push her. He's like, you mean you got to talk to your husband just to make a decision? He's kind of making, trying to push a button with her. But she's like, no, we, we don't. We don't make decisions separately. We make them together because it's, it's important. Um, God has put you together as, as a team. And so uh, as a team, we need to make decisions together. And here's oftentimes why we don't. And this may sound obvious, but we oftentimes don't make decisions together because we're worried what the other person might say. Because we're worried that the other person is going to say no to our ideas or to our decisions that we want to make or to the thing that we want to buy or the, or the place that we want to go. And so um, when, you, when you sense that in your head, I, had, I don't want to tell her because I know that she's going to say no. I don't, I don't want to tell him because he might say no. Fight that. That is going directly against uh, Ephesians, um, this passage in Ephesians, which says that we submit to each other, that we are no longer two people. We are not two independent people. We are one. And when we act independently and make decisions independently, it causes, um, causes uh, unhealthy patterns in our relationship, and it, it can lead to dangerous decisions. The next thing that we need to share is we need to share responsibilities. We need to share responsibilities. Um, when the house is a mess, it, it oftentimes um, it can become their house. Or, or when the when the garage is a mess, it becomes his mess, you know, um, which is kind of how I, I thought that would be how we would divide up the house. I thought, babe, let's divide up the house. I get the garage, you get everything else. And so you keep that clean, I'll keep mine clean, you know, and um, but that didn't really work. So, um, but we have to share responsibilities together. And here's what I'm, I mean when responsibilities in marriage are things like... Um, finances and and kids and things like keeping the house clean and even just daily tasks when one person carries too much of the weight again it becomes disproportionate and it becomes too much for one person i was sharing this message um to the very first church i spoke at a couple weeks ago and a man came up to me afterwards and he said um i really failed in this idea of sharing responsibilities as a husband and he said because of that it led my wife to leave me he said now i'm i'm a 45-year-old man. He said, I have two children who I don't get to see very often, and um, I'm divorced because of it. He said that he came home, and he worked a lot, and he just got into this routine of where he didn't didn't feel obligated to help. He didn't feel obligated to be there emotionally for his wife or to be a part of the team. He felt like he did his part because he worked hard, and because he did that, his wife, who was carrying all the weight, finally said, I've, I've had enough. I cannot, I cannot bear the weight of the family of what is supposed to be to all by myself. I have asked, I have asked, I have asked, and I can no longer do it, so I have to leave. And he took their two girls, and, and she moved out. And so now he's left to himself. And I guess he got, and he's, he kind of said he, he lives in just regret every day that he did that. And he finally is at the place where now he realizes how much more he needs to be helpful. So as a, as a, 
as separated, he tries to do his best to go and help her and to do some of the things to make up for what he had not done uh, as a husband. So it's so important that we begin to share responsibilities because if one person is, is burdened, a responsibility that becomes too great becomes a burden. You know, and any responsibility on a normal size scale, and, you know, we might get handled on our own. But in the scope of family, responsibilities can become large. If you have a large family, they become huge. And so we have to begin to share those responsibilities together. Um, I shared this with you uh, a couple of weeks ago about homeschooling, but um, I had to share the responsibility of homeschooling with my kids. And so I, I took mornings off and kind of adjusted my work schedule to begin to homeschool my kids because my wife was really struggling with doing that. And it was not easy. It was not fun. My kids dropped a couple grades and they became stupid because of it. Uh, my wife is trying to get them, you know, back up to normal pace now. But, uh, but anything that becomes a, a burden to either a husband or to a wife, we have to begin to, to share that with them and help them carry those responsibilities and loads. Um, verse three is, or number three is this, we need to share our, our dreams. And this one may sound kind of silly, but it's really important because I oftentimes will see couples who will do this. They will dream very separately. Here's what I mean. Um, maybe the, the wife and the husband will have two different visions and dreams and hopes for their family. And oftentimes it'll be one that has no dream or no vision or no hope for their family and one that does have. And and what happens is if you do not share plans for the future and share dreams for your family and your hope together, then what happens is um, you begin to, one of the spouse begins to feel alone and feels like they're the only one that has the dream and they need to leave the other one behind in order to accomplish the dream. And, and it's not just a dream. Let me, let me be clear on that, clarify that. It's, I believe it's God-given dreams. When God begins to give you a passion and a heart for your family and, and for the future of your family, for the future of your marriage, um, then you want to see your, your family be in a certain place and you want to see um, God has kind of given you a vision for your, for your marriage to be in a certain place. That's God-given. Now, not s- stupid dreams, not all dreams, because listen, I say God-given because my wife has some dreams too. She's, her dream is to be on Dancing with the Stars, and that is not of God. That is of Satan. And that is from the pit of hell. And so, no, we will never go on Dancing with the Stars. And so, uh, only God-given dream. So, clarify that one. Um, but but what happens is, I, I've seen it before, though, is that, uh, you know, a wife or a husband will have this dream for the future. And what ends up happening is um, it will cause disunity. It will cause distrust. And one of the partners will say, I feel like I'm tagging, that like you're you're kind of just tagging along in this relationship. And pretty soon, I'm just going to have to leave you behind because i i've i've got i know where i'm going i know where god is calling me to go and it doesn't seem like you're willing to go there and it causes disunity it causes separation it causes divorce um here's the most important one this is the last one most important thing that we need to share as couples is this is that we need to share jesus is that we need to share Jesus. The, motive, the, the thing that um, Ephesians leads us to is it says that we mutually submit ourselves to each other. Um, but first, there is this submission to Jesus, the, the head of the church, the head of our life. Ultimately, submission begins with him. And if you are not first submitted to Christ, then you will never submit to a spouse. Why would you submit to them when you cannot come under the authority of God? And so if you want to submit to to a spouse, you first have to begin to place a personal relationship in Christ where you begin to s- submit to him first. 
and you come under his submission, and then you begin to share together Jesus. You begin to share a, a spiritual relationship together. Um, too many times, and it has happened so often, the only time a couple will even talk about God will be kind of in the parking lot of church, and it'll sound like this. Hey, what'd you think of church? How'd you think of the sermon? It was, it was good. Yeah, me too. It was good. And that was, that was the spiritual conversation for the week. And that should never be so. Never, ever should it be diminished to that. Uh, listen, if, if, if a couple is sharing spiritually together, they are beginning to talk about God together, sharing Jesus with each other, encouraging each other in their spiritual walk, encouraging each other to, to read the scriptures and to, and to pray um, and to begin to pray together. Then what happens is, as this couple is going to become so uniquely spiritually tied together, there is nothing that's going to be able to separate them and pull them apart. And many couples, Christian couples, will divorce and become separated, not so much because they really had issues. Much of it is because they never dealt with spiritual issues together at all. It was church was just something they went to, and God was very independent. The, the Bible says that the two shall become one. Listen, God never designed marriage, never designed marriage, for it to be between a man and a woman. And you say, what? God never designed marriage for it to be between a man and a woman. It has always been from Genesis chapter 2 between man, a woman, and God. Always. The Bible says in Matthew 19 that it is God that joins us together in marriage. It says, let what God joins together, let mo- no man separate. And that's why God hates divorce. And I know that some of you have been through that. And the reason why God hates that is because he places the the two people together. And it's supposed to be not just a physical union, but a spiritual union where you are sharing with each other. And that the man is supposed to, as Ephesians says, to to submit so much, to, to love his wife so much that he would lead her into the place where she would want to be submissive to him. It is not that the man would lead in such a domineering way that she would have to be submissive to him, but that he would love her and lead her to Christ. It says that he would present her to Christ. In other words, he would encourage her in such a way that he would lead her to Jesus so that she would be a godly woman in order that she might be presented to Christ. That's what the scripture of Ephesians calls men to do. That's a big task, a big task. Listen, I grew up in a home where my my father, um, he didn't like God, uh, he, and he voiced that often. My, my mother was a woman who loved God deeply, and she gave her heart to Jesus, and she prayed for us, and she drug us to church. Uh, but my, my dad was pretty antagonistic against God. And so I, I lived in this tension of a father who was far from God and a, and a mother who was trying to push us towards God. And uh, I now, in, in a marriage... I could easily fall into that pattern because this is what I grew up in. And I can make this excuse why I've never been in a home where I had a, a dad who, who led spiritually and prayed with the family. I've, I never had that. Um, and I can make that excuse, but that I can't make excuses. The scripture is very, very clear. I need to say, no, I, I can't make excuses. I need to be a man who stands up and says, I need to, to lead my family in such a way that it's going to present them to Jesus. It's going to lead them to the cross. It's going to lead them into a better relationship with God. That means I need to be submissive myself to God, be obedient to uh, myself to, to him, and then to begin to pray with my wife, 
pray with my children, lead them to God, lead them in worship, lead them in the reading of the scriptures. Get up in the mornings and read the Bible to your kids. Um, read the Bible to your family. To read the Bible together together as a couple. Even if you don't have kids and you're a couple, read, if you're a single parent, read the Bible to your kids. Begin, even if you're a woman, begin to lead them in that way uh, because cause you, can still, you can still do that um, because this is... This is spirituality is the glue for marriage. There is nothing else there to keep you together other than a piece of paper, than, than, the, than the Holy Spirit and the mutual submission to Christ first. Because what Ephesians says is that when two people actually do this, when they begin to submit to Christ first and then to each other, what that becomes is a beautiful picture of the gospel. The guy says, this is the beautiful picture of the church. I say this every time I do weddings. I say, the reason why you guys are coming together is not so you can just make babies, okay? Um, that is one of the reasons why God put a man and woman together. But it is not just that. It is a beautiful picture of the gospel that God ordained. And in Ephesians 4, it gives a great picture and a great explanation of it. That when, when, the, when the man submits and lays his life down, for his wife and and in leading her and the wife is um, is mutually submissive and they they share and act as one. It is a beautiful picture of the relationship of Jesus laying his life down for the church, for you and for I, and that we might mutually submit ourselves in obedience to Christ. That's the picture. That's why that's why Jesus talks about the church as the bride, because he has led himself as as the head of the family, as the head of the home. Jesus has led himself to die on the cross um, to to forgive us of our sins and bring us into a new relationship with him that he might love us. And we come into the place of of submission under his authority that we might enjoy oneness together. And so Jesus prays, let them be one. You know, oftentimes I. I know that marriage is so, so difficult. It's probably one of the most difficult things that you will ever do, but it can be the greatest. And I believe it's so difficult because Jesus is wanting to answer this prayer. You say, Jay, what do you mean? Because when you have difficulty, when you put two people together who are very, very different, independent, put them in a box, shake them up, it's going to explode, okay? And so that tension of marriage, that difficulty in marriage is supposed to lead us to submission in Christ. It is to lead us to the place where we say, I cannot do this. I cannot do this relationship thing. I cannot do this marriage. It is so difficult. I cannot submit here. I cannot give up this decision. I cannot do this. That's the place where we go to the cross. That's the place where we lay ourselves down and we say, no, I cannot do it. I'm, I submit myself under his authority. And when we get to that place, then Jesus has answered that prayer. Jesus, guys, he prays to God. He says, I pray that they would be one. I pray that you would kick their rear end so that they would be one. That they would get to the place where they're not dependent on themselves, independent of each other, but they might come to their knees and say, Jesus, I cannot do this without you. And I'm willing to submit my life and all my desires and all my wants and all my decisions and all my stuff. And I need to no longer say it's mine. I need to say it's yours and it's ours. And I'm going to stop doing my own thing. And I'm submit myself to you, Jesus. That's where it starts. Maybe you're here today and you have a relationship that's really struggled. Um, you need to come to the place of repentance and say, I'm no longer going to make decisions on my own. 
We're going to share responsibility in the home and the marriage because we've got to be unified. Because listen, this whole unified church thing, that's great and all, but if it doesn't happen in the home, man, it's going to mess up what happens in the church. That's where it starts is in the home. If it can't happen in the home, it won't happen in the church. So let's start in the home. Let's be unified in the home. And then let's bring that spirit of unity as we submit under Christ into the church and share together. I want to pray for you. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to just to, to pray. And if your spouse is here, it'd be great for you just to grab their hand and pray with them. And um, I would encourage you to do that when you get home and have a conversation with them. How can we begin to work together and be unified? Um, let's, let's pray together. And even if you're a single here, you begin to pray for the future. Begin to pray for your future possible mate and for, um, or, or maybe someone that you're dating or something like that. You begin to, begin to pray this um, for them and for that relationship. Let's pray. Jesus, being unified is so difficult because, God, we're so independent and selfish sometimes. Father, I pray that you would just break the spirit of independence and selfishness in our church. And I pray that, God, that you would give us a spirit of submission, a spirit that submits to each other. Um, Pray especially for our, our marriages. I pray for the husband and for the wife. God, that they would begin to submit to each other, to love each other in a deep way, that they would submit first to you, Jesus. They would come under your authority and obedience, and then they would give themselves to each other. They would no longer act independent as singles, but they would begin to act together as one. Jesus, I pray for the marriage that's hurting today. I pray that you would heal it. I pray for healing over their home. I pray for healing over their children and family. I pray that you would bring them together in one. God, protect them from the enemy. Protect them from division, Father. May you help them as they submit unto you to submit to each other. And for the one that's here who has a spouse that's not here because they're not unified spiritually, I pray for that spouse that that that, that spouse would would come to know you, that they would um, learn of you, that the that the passion within their wife or husband would lead them to the place where they would want to know you, Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you, and we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Um, Thank you, church, for being here today. I'm so glad you were here. We're going to close out in a song of worship called Came to My Rescue. It's a perfect picture of the gospel, how he comes and unifies himself to us. Uh, I'm going to ask us to.